This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Morton Anderson, and you're listening to The Eye Test for Two. Well, welcome to this week's I Test for Two podcast. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are, of course, Hall of Fame voters, joined today, as always, by our Hall of Fame producer, Mr. Ian Glendon. But that's not all. We've got another guest and a special guest with us, and that's Hall of Fame coach and Sunday Night Football in America analyst, Tony Dungy, speaking to us today from Tampa. And Tony, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you were the first guest we ever had on this podcast. And thanks to Ian Glendon, you looked it up. We had you on two years ago to the day, to the day. So thanks for making this possible. Oh, well, thank you. I didn't realize I was your first guest. I do remember it two years ago because it actually was my birthday uh, that year as well. So uh, thank you. We'll have to make it an annual event. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because before we get to you, there is something that Ira and I would like to say to you. So Ira, tune me. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Tony. Happy birthday to you. That's a reluctant Ira Kaufman. He was way behind there. I mean, neither one of us can sing, but the sentiment is there, Tony. Happy birthday. I appreciate the sentiment. The thought that counts. Tony, I'm going to be on The Voice next week. I'm going to be on The Voice. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I actually heard it was the masked singer. singer. Yeah. <laughs> Good question. How are you going to celebrate your birthday? Is Ira taking you out to dinner? No, uh, not exactly. Um, my family usually does, but we've got a middle school football game tonight, high school football game tomorrow, so we're going to celebrate on Saturday. Sweet. There you go. Well, um, as you know and as Ira knows, uh, Hall of Fame voters this week were emailed ballots for the 129 preliminary candidates for the modern era class of 2023. I'm sorry to get you off of that happy birthday, but now we're going back to why we really had you on here. But, uh, and then we're asked to submit their 25 semifinalists by November 1st. So as Tony and I also know, there's been a push for former cornerback Albert Lewis. And I said, cornerback Albert Lewis. He's a member of the Chiefs Hall of Fame, and Tony is one of those who's been doing the pushing behind the scenes, and I understand it after reading what he and others have said. So we asked him to join us to talk to us about Albert, and thankfully, he said yes on the second anniversary of his first coming here. So, Tony, first of all, thanks so much for being here. And in your message to voters, you said something which absolutely astounded me. You mentioned that you coached Albert for three years, which I know, and that was 1989 through 91 when you were the secondary coach, I think, of the Kansas City Chiefs. And you said he was the best cover man you ever coached. But then you said if you were building a secondary, you would take Albert over Deion Sanders and Darrell Rivas. Why? What made him so exceptional? Well, first of all, he was a tremendous player, and he had the skills that you look for. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer, who was our head coach when I was there, believed in man-to-man coverage. Uh, Albert was Albert Lewis played his position and graded out higher than any player I've ever coached uh, on a consistent basis. 98%, 96%, week in, week out, didn't matter who we played, who we covered. 
Uh, he was phenomenal. He uh, was a highly motivated guy. He practiced hard. He tackled. He did everything you could ask for as well as cover his guy man-to-man. Deion Sanders covered his guy man-to-man. He didn't do much else. Okay, Albert Lewis covered his guy just as well, wasn't as flashy, but got it done and would tackle, would block kicks, would uh, do whatever it took to win games. And he was just a great player who played with some other great players. My, my year there, all four of those guys went to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> and it was the best secondary I've ever been around. They were talented. They pushed each other. Uh, they covered some great players uh, at that time. Tim Brown was in the AFC West at that time. Steve Largent was in the AFC West. Uh, Albert Lewis had challenges week in and week out, the, the three amigos in Denver. Uh, and Marty Schottenheimer used to make us, I used to hate it because it was really a pain in the neck, but he used to make us keep charts, every man coverage attempt that was thrown at you. What was the result? What happened? Albert Lewis at the end of the year would be 16% completions uh, against him in man-to-man coverage. Uh, you know, he was just phenomenal, but he wasn't flashy. He wasn't a big name. We didn't go to Super Bowls, so he didn't get that type of recognition. But he was, uh, he was, as I said, the, the most uh, dominant player in terms of grade that I ever coached. And I can, I'm not going to say he was a better player than Mel Blunt or a better player than Rob Woodson, but you talk about the grading out, do your job, not do your job. He was the best I ever coached. And on top of that now, could change the game around with special teams. In, in a heartbeat. Uh, everybody knew he was coming. He still blocked kicks. He, he made a difference. He forced punters to rush and created bad. I don't, he blocked 12, but probably created 50 bad kicks at the wrong time because guys were in such a hurry to get them off. And Tony, two things I want to ask you about what you just said. One, you said that secondary with the Chiefs was the best you've ever been around. You were around the Steelers secondaries. It's better than the Steelers secondaries. And then secondly, you said he, he graded out higher than any player that you've ever coached. And I don't know if you're talking about position player or if you mean players across the board, because you coach Peyton Manning. Every single player that I've ever coached. Now, obviously, quarterback is a yeah. more difficult position to play. But the way we grade, you get – if you do your job and it doesn't make any difference to the play, you get a zero. If you did your job exceptionally well, you get a plus. If you didn't do your job, you get a minus. Now, if you've got 100 plays – how many pluses, how many minuses, how many zeros? Albert Lewis is 90% every week, week in and week out, every time I, I had him. Um, There's very, very few plays where he didn't do the job that was assigned to him. Uh, other guys may be more spectacular. Maybe they have more pluses, but they have more minuses. Uh, but he, he graded out exceptionally well. Kevin Ross was on the other corner. Great player, too. Went to the Pro Bowl two times while I was there. Deron Terry was a five- or six-time Pro Bowler. Albert Lewis or uh, um, Lloyd Burst was a strong safety. Four tremendous players. Very smart. You could do things during the course of a game. Hey, I know we practiced this all week, but you know what? They're doing something different. We want to do this now. All four of them would get it just like that. You could make changes between series. You could not work them hard enough. Uh, you could do multiple things. Uh, Change defenses from week to week. They got it. They understood it. They, they, they were great to, to coach and just, just phenomenal players. But Albert Lewis was a guy who he wasn't a big, huge interceptor. He wasn't going to have 15 interceptions in a year, 12 interceptions. First of all, they weren't going to throw at him that much. Uh, but he, 
he was he was just a tremendous football player, Clark. Tony, uh, he made he made the All Pro team. Forget about the Pro Bowl, but he was a first team All Pro your first two years in Kansas City. And Tony, I don't think it's a stretch to say he might have made it the third year, but I believe he got a knee injury in, in the opener in '91. Yeah, in '91 he missed some time. He got hurt, had a contract dispute, came back, played, got hurt, didn't play as much. But I, I promise you, any receiver from that era, you you asked Steve Largent, you asked Tim Brown, you asked that I, I saw the quote from Jerry Rice. Uh, I I didn't know that, but uh, it would, wouldn't surprise me. Albert Lewis was just tough to play against. He was a bump and run corner. He was 6'3", had long arms. He was fast, had acceleration. He was a gentleman. He was a, a just a football player. No trash talk. No, just, just go out and play. But I promise you, he had the, the admiration of every receiver that, that lined up against him. Tony, I, I think he was the tallest corner in the league at, at that time. At that time. He very well could have been. And when he came out, I didn't think he could play corner. I, I told Coach Noel, I was in, in Pittsburgh at the time, he's too tall, he's too long-legged. And he said, well, you know, we had Mel Blunt, so we, we we don't, you know, shy away from tall corners. But he was just – I saw him in the senior role. He impressed me. I never knew he was going to be that good. Then I got there in 89 and got to watch him every day and watch him work in practice and, and watch him 16 games every year. And it was just amazing. Talk about Tony, uh, other than his physical attributes, which were great, uh, but you know, Tony, you've said it many times, that alone is not going to make you a great player. It's not. Talk about Albert Lewis's approach to the game, his preparation, his, his mental uh, attitude towards the game. Work ethic, unbelievable. All four of those guys were tremendous, but very smart players, work at it, come in early, watch extra tape, you talk about little things. Hey, here's this receiver split. Steve Largent's two yards outside the numbers. Here's the routes we're going to get. Steve Largent's right on the numbers. Here's the, the, the routes we're going to get. Be able to make those adjustments, talk through things, and play with great confidence. But he, his, his work ethic was just tremendous. And he practiced hard. He prepared. He studied. And uh, he and, and then all of that, you know, you've covered three deep outs on first, second, third down, and then go line up and block a punt. And you don't punt. Now you hustle back and run and try to get a block on the return. I mean, that that's what he was. Uh, it didn't matter. However, we're going to try to win the game. Put me in. Do it. I'm not shying away from anything. We're speaking with Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy on the eye test for two. And Tony, uh, it sounds to me like Albert Lewis was a complete player. Now, I, I covered the Chargers in this time when you were in Kansas City, so the Chiefs twice a year, that secondary was exceptional. Um, and I don't remember anyone making a big deal about Albert Lewis and then kind of looked it up in the Hall of Fame program and said, well, he's never been a finalist and he's been a semifinalist only once. And that was 2013. How do you explain that if you can? I mean, this sounds like a guy who we've really lost track of and slipped through the cracks. How does that happen? Uh, I, I don't think for, for most of his career, we weren't a high profile team. Um, we started going to the playoffs, you know, 89, 90, I think was our first playoff year. Although 86, Rick Goslin wrote a piece about them going to the playoffs him blocking a punt against yeah. our Steelers in the last game of the year, uh, that type of thing, but did, didn't get a lot of publicity. Uh, and he was a guy who people didn't test. So he, he's not going to have 
you know, a 10 interception year because they aren't going to throw that many balls at him. And he's a, a quiet guy who's just going to do his job. I'm going to go out there and if I'm in man-to-man on 20 attempts, maybe they throw four balls that way. There's one catch. I knock down one and there's two incompletions. And it looks like a ho-hum day. But I, I played the whole game and my receiver caught one ball. Uh, that that's the the way he was and unless you go to the playoffs unless you or unless you're you, you kind of get pumped up in some way you know Duran Cherry is going to be near the league lead in interceptions every year he's going to go to the Pro Bowls he's going to be the guy talked about he's the leader he's the guy they're going to interview that's right. after the game great spokesman and, and all that and Albert was a guy that uh, after the game, he'd go to his farm and ride ride a horse <laughs> and get ready for <laughs> Sunday's practice. You know, as far as I saw Mel Blunt on that farm, too, yeah, you know? very similar. Uh, very well, you similar. know, it's, it's interesting, Tony, because we dealt with somebody in the past year who was somebody, someone like this, and, and that's Bryant Young. Now, I covered Bryant yeah, Young yeah. in San Francisco, and I thought Bryant was an exceptional player, but he didn't get any traction among voters. And then finally, he broke through, as you know, to the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame final fifteen in. 2020 but then he disappeared again then he came back this year and he breaks and lo and behold he's a uh an inductee and, and rightly so but he was a quiet guy and and i know in talking to him after his career he said maybe that hurt me but that's just who i was i, I wasn't a guy who um really felt comfortable in the spotlight and i didn't really like making outrageous statements i just had to be who i was he just did his job and then he left and went there's nobody better here but he's not getting the attention because there were others and Dana yeah. several people played next to him and Dana yeah. got a lot of sacks and he was a sort of a more talkative guy. But in the end, it worked out because voters finally saw that Brian Young was deserving of Hall of Fame recognition. Yeah, it's it's too bad that you if, if I did a uh, clinic for high school coaches or college coaches or for college defensive backs and I put on Albert Lewis's tape and just showed it and talked about it and, and showed over and over and over again his play, you would say, wow, man, this guy was really not, – not really good. This guy was unbelievable. Yeah. But, um, you know, you, he, he you, did. He, are you perplexed he never has been a finalist? Uh, not really because uh, he didn't have – he wasn't a big interceptor. He wasn't a, a guy who played in – 20 playoff games and he wasn't a guy who was flashy mm-hmm. so uh it, you could i could see how his play would be overlooked but but he's the guy that i loved uh as a player uh he set the tone for us he practiced hard i mean he was a coach's dream uh and you didn't worry it didn't matter who we played clark i never worried about that guy going off and having a big game wow. uh it, you know tim brown it, it, he's going to catch some balls, but I promise you, he's not going to go off and have a big game. Uh, we just didn't worry about that in the three years I was there with Albert. Tony, two quick questions. Uh, one, in, in your defensive scheme, Tony, back then, late 80s, early 90s, um, did that allow uh, Lewis to travel with um, maybe the other team's number one receiver, Tony? No, we didn't. He was the left corner. Kevin Ross was the right corner. We felt the same way about Kevin. They put somebody over on Kevin. It doesn't matter. He's going to shut him down, too. Uh, But to those guys' defense, now, this is in Kansas City. This is no Pittsburgh, Tampa, too. This is line up on your guy, bump and run. You've got him the whole game. And those guys did it for the three years I was there with Marty, and they did it as well as anybody. Tony, in special teams where Lewis had incredible prowess, incredible, 
Um, Tony, you coached 13 years. Talk a little bit about uh, your experiences. Um, sometimes, you you know, you got to talk starters maybe into playing special teams and, and it's reluctant or whatever, and this guy was a star. Uh, how rare is it that, that a starter becomes uh, just a standout uh, special teamer like him? That is very, very uh, rare. Normally, you're resting those guys. You don't want them to get hurt on special teams. But before I got there, Frank Gantz was there, and Frank Gantz coached those special teams. Those guys took pride in it. They knew they could make a difference. And Albert Lewis, would he would say in the huddle, hey, we, if you guys force a punt, we're going to be in good shape. I'm going to block it, or uh, this guy's going to get off a bad kick, and we're going to be in great field position. Uh, I remember we were playing a, a Monday night game in Denver, and we were struggling. And Albert blocked the punt, got us back in the ball game against Elway and those guys, and then I, he came off the sideline and said, man, that is a great play. You laid out and got that, gave up your body. He said, that's the first time I've ever left my feet for a punt. I knew we needed a big play. Said I, I usually I block him without leaving my feet, but we needed it, so I, I laid out. But that's how good he was. He he blocked twelve punts, and I think he got two that didn't get. They end up being called fumbles because he got them before it hit the punter's foot. That's how good he was. Glad you mentioned that, Tony. We're speaking with Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy because. I was going to ask you, um, I think Albert had 11 block punts in 11 seasons with the Chiefs, and then he had, I think, 12 in his career. But you mentioned countless others where he disrupted play. What makes a great punt blocker? And especially, like, what makes him, what made him so exceptional? I know he was 6'2". I know he had long arms. I know he was fast. But at some point, it seems to me, the, the, the punt blocking team goes, hey, listen, we got to look out for this guy. And he continues to do it. Yeah. Uh, desire, number one and want to get it done. And then uh, a little bit of change of direction. The fact that he could dip, go up and under, or beat you kind of to the outside with speed. So he really had two moves, beat you with speed, and then get you started, dip under, and then the real long arms and the hand-eye coordination, put his hand right on the punter's foot. But more than anything else, desire. Hey, if we need a block punt, if I need to affect this, I need to get the punter to shank it. If that's how we're going to win the game, I'm doing it. And that means as much to me as an interception or a, a one of those uh, ESPN highlight plays. I'm going to do something to affect the game, and it's something I work on and I take pride in because I want our team to win, and, and that was his attitude. Tony, you've been around the game for a long time, and you're what I'd consider an historian. You know players back from the 60s, probably studied players from the 50s, but the 70s. I mean, you played with some of these guys. You certainly know about a lot of them. Where does Albert Lewis – rank in your mind in, in the, the top cornerbacks in history? Would you put him in your top five, your top 10? Where, where would you put him? I, I absolutely would put him in, in the top five. There, there's some great players. And, you know, Mel Blunt was the, changed the game, and I played with him and coached him. Rod Woodson did a lot of things. Great return, man. Uh, but if I – and I said this. If I was starting a secondary, I'm, I'm, I don't have anybody on my team, and I can pick anybody, I'm taking him as my left corner first above uh, there's a, some great ones Darrell Rivas and Dion and guys who could do something but I know what I'm going to get with Albert Lewis and I'm going to build around that practice habits work habits leadership tackling uh coverage skills special teams and do it day in and day out without one like Marvin Harrison without one <laughs> drama at all I just I don't ever have to worry about drama 
Don't forget our don't forget about our guy Ronde over there, Mr. Bunchy. Don't forget. Now I'm putting Ronde in the slot. He's I'm I'm taking him as the slot corner. Good there for you. Because Ira's got to push him again for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, no, no, no question about that. He's he's my my slot corner. But if I'm starting on the outside, I'm taking Albert, I'm taking Ronde, and then I'm probably putting Mel Blunt at the right corner. There you go. Tony, last one for me. Thanks so much for doing this on, on, on your special day. Uh, Tony, uh, we talk about Hall of Fame on this show all the time. Um, and I'm not trying to brag or anything because you know what, what goes on. But Mel, Mel Blunt's been calling people uh, about some a particular guy. Uh, I got a call. I didn't talk to him. He left the voicemail. Uh, Tony, you know this guy very well. You're a historian. He's pushing Doug Williams for the Hall of Fame um, uh, in part based on his historical impact. Uh, on the game of professional football. Now, Tony, we don't know if that's going to get any traction, but I think it would be a mistake to dismiss it uh, out of hand. Uh, could you make a case for Doug Williams, Tony? I would make the case on historical impact. And how much does that mean? I, I promise you that if it weren't for Doug Williams, you don't have Donovan McNabb and Dante Culpepper and uh, – Maybe not Patrick Mahomes and, and Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson in the group we have right now. Uh, Doug Williams was the, the shift, the watershed moment when people started looking at African-American quarterbacks differently. So how much is that worth? Does that put you in the Hall of Fame? That, that's a discussion we'll have. But if you talk about impacting the game, he, he had a, a major impact. I'm glad you mentioned it because I know we've spoken to you before about this, Tony, but Marlon Briscoe is a guy I felt really sorry for because he, he could have been a great player in a different time in a different era. I mean, a guy. That I, we, I we, tell we, my boys the same thing. Uh, what we're seeing now from these guys, Marlon Briscoe, Chuck Ely, Eldridge Dickey, right. um, these guys came up and they would have done Charlie Ward. You think Charlie Ward Charlie. would not have, have yeah. made some plays in the yeah, NFL? You're right. You're right. Uh, Great basketball I, I, player, too. Oh, he could yeah, do everything. Yeah. He could do anything. Do anything. Well, he would have had more impact on the NFL than he had in the NBA. No question about it. But uh, it was a diff little bit different era. And I'm glad we're getting to see some of these guys now because um, it, 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 the game is better because of it. It is better. A um, couple last ones for me, Tony. One is, uh, as a Hall of Fame voter, you certainly have seen – what the senior list looks like for the class of 2023, we have Klecko, we have Riley, uh, and we have Chuck Howley. Um, and they're the nominees for the class of 2023. But do you want to make a pitch for the next senior for the class of 2024, a guy who is outside the group right now that you'd like to see get in? So he's not in the Hall of Fame now, but he's on that senior list, a guy that you would try to push for. I mean, I remember years ago you pushed for Donnie Shell, and you were right. He got in, you know. Um, so is there anyone else on that list that you look at and say, boy, I think this guy should be one of the next people in there? You know, I haven't focused on the next group, Clark. I, I really am a Ken Riley fan. Mm -hmm. uh, I played against Ken. Um, I saw him up close and personal. Great player. Um, underrated. Very much an Albert Lewis. Quiet guy who played out there and did his job for years and years and years. So that's the guy that I'm kind of focused on. But that, that's a good crowd. I have to look at next year's and possibility. Again, Tony, uh, Tony played for a team that didn't get a lot of fanfare. Yeah, right. right. 
<laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, and then lastly, Tony, this one's a little bit of a loaded question, but it's your birthday. So it's a special day, right? We've got to give you a special question here. You coach the Bucks, you live in Tampa, and you know Todd Ball. So how tough is it for a first-year coach like Todd? And I know he coached the Jets, but I'm talking about in Tampa. Um, to go through a season with all the distractions that are going on inside and outside the Bucks. It's difficult. And I think he's the perfect person, just his personality to kind of wade through this. But yeah, when your quarterback misses two weeks uh, for unexplained reasons, when you get disrupted by a hurricane, when right. you have uh, different things, your best receiver gets suspended for right. a week. I mean, right. these are things right. that you, you don't want to have happen and you've got to keep the ship ship steady. And I, I think Todd is doing a great job, but it's not that's not the way you would describe uh, your your ideal season, for sure. Yeah, but fortunately, he had he had a history because he was with the Jets, so anything goes up in New York. He knows so about least, dysfunction. That's right. He knows about <laughs> dysfunction. Hey, Tony, thanks so much, as always. Thanks so much for the time All and right. for the insight and the happiest of birthdays. Thank you, guys. Great to be with you. Thanks, thanks Tony. Tony. That was Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy on his second anniversary of being with the eye test for two. And Ira, a strong statement from Tony of what he said about Albert Lewis. I can be honest with you. He's got my vote right now. And I'm talking about semifinalists. I look at this and go, why on earth has he only been a one-time semifinalist? I mean, that was strong stuff. Very strong. I'm a little stunned about how strong he's going because he's coached a lot of great players, been around a lot of great players. Sounds like he's got Albert Lewis kind of at the top of the heap. Uh, he does. You know, um, and, you know, those, those chief teams, you know, they made the playoffs, but they didn't do much in the playoffs. Clark, they didn't make the Super Bowl. And um, and he was a quiet guy. So we'll see. I, I'm with you. I, I'd be a little surprised if he doesn't make the semifinals. Yeah, no, I don't. I think he'll make the semifinals, especially with that push. And, and you, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Yes. But I'm really curious to see whether he goes into the top 15 and what he just said is going to help his case. And I'm talking about Albert Lewis's case. That's going to help him enormously. It really is. There are people who love Albert Lewis. They love him. Oh, do they love you, Ira? Because look at the schedule. It says you're up next for the I was there. So where were you? And what was going on when you were there? Clark, they're going to love me because this is a story about Albert Lewis in a game that he played a central role in. And for one of the few times in his professional life, Clark, he was exposed. And here's the story. Chiefs versus Dolphins, opening round playoffs, 1990 season. Chiefs are 11-5, and five, Steve DeBerg. Miami 12-4, and four, Dan Marino. They're playing at Joe Robbie. January 5th, 1991, Dolphins two-and-a-half-point favorites. After three quarters, score. Dolphins three, Chiefs 16. 16 to 16-3, home team Dolphins losing by 13 points. Well, Marino throws a touchdown fourth quarter, but they're still down. Uh, at this point, it's 16-10. And here goes Marino. Drive, drive, drive. Four minutes left. They're at the 12-yard line, Clark. Mark Clayton flanked out to the right. Albert Lewis, the left cornerback. First down. Lewis reads the play. It's an out pattern to the right sideline. He goes for the pick to seal the game. 
Marino, Clark, as only Marino can do, throws a low ball to the outside. A perfect pass. Lewis comes screaming up, and he can't get it. It goes, it whizzes right past him, and then Clayton goes, you know, unmolested into the end zone, and the Dolphins get the lead with 3.28 left. Clark, story's not over. Chiefs get the ball. DeBerg had a good season that year. He wasn't that bad, Steve DeBerg. He was famous for that ball fake, Clark. He was yeah. tremendous with that. Yeah. He's, the Chiefs start driving. Clark, they're down by one point. It's 17-16. Less than two minutes left. They're in field goal range for Nick Lowry. Some people think he belongs in Canton. He had a streak of 24 straight. They're in field goal range. They run Christian Okoya for about three yards, Clark. Simple running play. Flag on the field. Holding. Left guard, Dave Zott. Schottenheimer goes nuts. Crazy. And, of course, who's on the other sideline? Don Shula, who seems to get those calls, Clark, in the moment of truth. They they bump him back 10 yards. 52-yard kick just short of the uprights. And the ball bounces harmlessly on the turf. And the Dolphins beat the Chiefs 17-16. to 16. What a game. Wow. If and when Albert Lewis gets into the room, are you going to bring that story up? Absolutely not. My, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my lips are sealed, baby. Out of respect for uh, Dungey and Rick Goslin. <laughs> you, you know what? I thought your lips were sealed earlier when we were singing Happy Birthday because I go, am I carrying this? Because I can't sing. And I'm hearing you way behind. I'm like, what? Is there a, a, a tape delay here? What's going on? Look, my lips should be sealed when I go to the Bucks because – I'm not getting any answers from Tom Brady. I, I, I got to stop asking questions. Well, before we get onto that, quickly, I want to ask each one of you guys. I mean, you live in the Tampa area. Ian's in St. Pete. You're in Tampa. You, you guys weather that storm, and I'm, I'm not being facetious here, but uh, that, that Hurricane Ian, you guys survived that okay? Any damage? Uh, did you have to leave? Did you have to evacuate? Uh, Ian, did you have to leave St. Pete? No. I mean, look, we got lucky. I mean, no way to, else to put it. You know, it shifted throughout the day on Wednesday, and uh where I was, we basically got heavy winds and really relatively low amounts of rain. And I think Tampa only oh. got about two inches uh, altogether. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, wow. You, you guys feel like no, Ian, Ian said it. He said it all, Clark. We got lucky. And yeah. you see the pictures of Fort Myers. We got lucky. Well, it's time for I was there. Uh, I mean, sorry, it's time for our final thoughts. I was there. It's already <laughs> over. It's time for our final thoughts. And, and Ira, I'm going to ask you, um, because you didn't get lucky out at Tampa practice today talking to Tom Brady. So I, I suspect you want to say something about what's going on there, because it seems like he's on page six every day of the New York Post. And uh, his wife is on the front page of the New York Post. So you have anything to say about what's going on there or what may happen? What's what's going on with Tom Brady? Well, I'll and Brady? Clark. A lot of people talk about, you know, celebrities also and the movie stars. And Clark, the price of fame, the price of fame, you got to pay a price and you're making all that money. Um, and, and you're going to the head of the line at fancy restaurants. You got private jets. But Clark, I, I think this is a little beyond the pale here. I actually, I feel a little bad for Brady. I don't think anybody deserves this. Uh the New York Post must have three people assigned to Brady. He's not even playing for a New York team. 
Uh, I don't know how Ian feels, but there's kids involved. That's right. That's who I feel sorry for. So, Ian, uh, uh, enough's enough with with, with this uh, focus on Brady. Yeah, I mean, it's just you, you look at you look across, across social media and you have marriage counselors popping up left and right, you know, formerly doctors, formerly uh, political experts and, you know, all trying to figure out what's good or bad for these people when it's like, quite frankly, I, I don't really care about their personal life. That's their personal life. And, you know, they should be able to deal with that in, in the privacy of their own home. And, you know, for all we know, this is an amicable split that you know, it was coming or whatever. I mean, we really don't know. And it, it's unfortunate. So many people are speculating. Yeah. And, and Ira, as you mentioned, I feel for the kids. I mean, if there's, if there is in fact a divorce, but they got to read about their mom and dad each day in the paper. So uh, I feel for the kids. And for what it's worth, um, his, kids, wanted... his kids were there, what, last, last week for the home opener, right? I believe yeah. uh, they were all, yeah. all three of them were there for the, for the game. But, so, but, I mean, I live up in the Northeast. We see the Post all the time. Every day there's another story about wedding rings, divorced attorneys, yeah. separate homes, you know. I, I, I just think that's unfair to have kids subjected to that. Um, and maybe they're not. Maybe they're not seeing that. Um, but I want to mention um, the passing of another great player this week, Ira, and that was Marvin Powell. I know you probably followed him um, because he did play for Tampa at one time. 67 years old, died this week, three-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, College Football Hall of Fame. You know, it struck me, too, when I looked at his bio, his dad, Marvin Sr., was the sergeant and a combat medic in the U.S. Army. He was in the Normandy invasion. He fought in Korea. He was deployed twice in Vietnam. Um, that's, a, a, that's a tough follow, and yet he, he did a great job. Marvin, Marvin Powell was a great player and a stand-up guy, and... and um, I just I, I felt a real twinge of sadness when I read that because I remember covering those Jets teams as opponents when I was doing the Baltimore Colts and Marvin Powell was the forest, but anyway, um, he's gone too soon at the age of six. We, we need more Marvin Powell's fuck. That, that's what we need. More yeah, Marvin that's right. We we need more audio from you too around that next happy birthday <laughs> we sing too. That's gonna do it for the week. If you'd like to listen to this or any I Test for Two podcast, go to the itestfor2.com. That's a great site you set up, Ian. I don't know if you visited Ira, but you're on there with me. Great site, itestfor2.com or fullpresscoverage.com, and you're going to find us right there. Otherwise, look for us next week right here. Where, Ira? I test for two, my man. Yeah, you're not I too late on that. You're right there, right on cue. Good work. We'll <laughs> right see you on then. The note, Clark. Right on the note. <laughs> right on the note. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.